Welcome, and thank you for tuning in to Black Women Amplified, the podcast. Your host, Monica Wisdom Tyson, brings you downloadable conversations that matter to women around the globe. We discuss all things black girl magic, amplify our voices, and transform our challenges into triumphs. Monica calls on her league of extraordinary women to push our boundaries, share their expertise, and stories of personal transformation. Welcome your host of Black Women Amplified, Monica Wisdom Tyson. Hello, Black Women Amplified. It is your girl, Monica Wisdom, and I am thrilled to be with you today. We have a very special guest, and I can't wait for you to learn all about her and hear her story. But first, of course, I want to thank you for joining us. I want to thank you for listening and following us on all the places and heading on to BlackWomenAmplified.com, reading our blog. And I have some new treats being designed for the shop, new t-shirt designs that my goddaughter is doing as we speak. And I can't wait for you to see them. Listen, before we go any further, we've lost one of our greats, Tina Turner. And I have to say, she meant the world to me. I had just come home from a luncheon and saw these incredible girls that are Afro-Indigenous girls. And they have an organization called The Wild Mother, where they take beautiful flowers and they give them to people who have suffered great trauma, like the three survivors of the Tulsa massacre and different situations that need love. And as I got home, my phone, the text went off and it said that Tina Turner had passed. It just stopped me in my tracks. I love me some Tina Turner and being a St. Louis girl, we claim her. I know she's from Tennessee, but we claim her. She came here as a young girl and she graduated high school from here. And then she went on to begin her musical career from right here in St. Louis. In fact, her first song was recorded here that she ever did. But besides that, she was a woman of great courage. She was a woman of great resilience. And she showed us that no matter what we've gone through, that we can move on into our greatness. And for me, she was always a beacon of keep moving forward. So she is truly a Black woman amplified. I love, 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 love her. I cried, just continued to cry, and I still do. It's I haven't even gotten to the point where I could watch the tributes. So I wanted to say, Tina, thank you. We love you and we honor you. And I know that you are going on to your next level of greatness. And you have left us with your legacy of music and resilience. And forever you will be in our hearts. And I know forever you will be in mine. So thank you, Miss Tina Turner. Sending you love and light. Now, that being said, thank you, Tina. I want to talk about the podcast. Have you listened to the interviews, the conversations with Erica Hubbard, Liv Warfield, Leatrice Elzey, and all the other great women We have a collection of women that if you need inspiration, if you are wanting to hear positive stories of incredible women that you may have never heard of before, Black Women Amplified is your place. So please continue to subscribe and share and leave reviews 
because the more you tell people about us, the longer we're going to live in these podcast streets. Now, let me tell you, we have a special guest with us today. I normally give you a lot of chit chat, but this conversation is so rich. I want to get right to it. Listen, I tell you what, I tell people all the time, God is my agent. This was a blessing that came to me and it gave me life. <laughs> it truly gave me life. And the conversation is so much fun. Wait until you hear it. But let me tell you about this amazing Broadway star. Night after night, Natasha Yvette Williams hears the roar of the crowd applauding her dynamic performances as she plays iconic women, including Becky in Waitress, Zelma and Tina, the Tina Turner musical, Mariah in Gershwin's Porgy and Bess, alongside Audra McDonald, David Allen Greer, Norm Macdonald. She also plays the fierce Mama Morton in Chicago. Her powerhouse performance of Sophia in the color purple still rings around the world as she shares the stage with Fantasia. But let me tell you, the lights of Broadway are illuminating this incredible talent and the gifts of Natasha Williams. She is burning up the stage as Sweet Sue in the musical Some Like It Hot. Natasha is grounded and graceful. She is a soul that gives her all to the stage. And she also gives back to her Broadway community. She is the founding member of Black Theater United. They are building bridges to equity on and behind the stage and curtains of Broadway. So let me tell you, we have to give a very warm welcome to the Broadway star, the Tony-nominated Broadway star. I love saying that for Black girls. <laughs> Natasha Yvette Williams. Hello, Ms. Williams. How are you today? I am excellent today. I'm so happy to talk to you. I am so excited that you are here. First of all, I have to say congratulations Thank you so on much. your Tony nomination. Woo. Best featured actress in a musical. Yes. yes. Thank <laughs> How you. does that feel? It feels incredible. I've been singing that song, indescribable, <laughs> uncontainable. I am just, I'm elated. It's exactly like I'm walking through one of my dreams. So I'm very excited. I was talking to someone this week and my first Broadway show, the first time I was eligible for a Tony was 2006. Okay. So we're almost, what, 17 years from then. Such a short time. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But it was 17 years of me saying, maybe next time, maybe right. next Maybe, you know, it's been 17 years of that. So. I always okay. tell people the journey might look short, but it's a long right. road. <laughs> now, I did see the segment where you all were on the Today Show and actually got the news. Yeah. I was cheering with you. I shed a tear. I was like, just all these beautiful people oh of God. all the peoples. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> how did it feel in that moment? And how did you keep it together to perform? Okay, so we before we perform, we got like the five, the first five award, the first five nominations. And I don't know that we kept it together. We everybody was we <laughs> five tiers, you know, it was between segments. So we were like 
there was a thing going on over here. We were trying to be quiet. We found out that we made best musical or whatever into that category. We found out about Jay and Christian making it into the best leading actor. And so everybody was like, oh, holding our breath. And then they went to commercial. We yelled out. They were taping us, taping our reaction or whatever. And then they showed it. And then we had to perform. So everybody literally was you know, making sure every mascara <laughs> wasn't running. And then we did the performance and then we went upstairs to all of the rest of the nominations. And then we got 10 more upstairs. And <sighs> it was just incredible to be with the group of people where we had been rehearsing for so long, opened the show and fighting to get people to come in there and just enjoy yeah. the with us. And it was just so validating and freeing and we cried and we laughed and we were all together and it was amazing. And then mm. I called my husband who was home watching on television and we were, he was crying. I was crying. We were crying <laughs> together. Everybody's doing the same thing, but in different spaces. And it was just a very incredible feeling. And, and I, it hasn't gone away and I can recall it just like that. It is <laughs> on the tip of my emotions. I am teary eyed <laughs> at various points of the day in gratitude, in gratitude. <sighs> That is beautiful. I mean, I know, I mean, I don't know. I've never been on Broadway, but I have friends that have done it. And so I know the road to even getting a show to Broadway. Right, so right. To know that it has been recognized has got to be magical. Yeah. And before we dive into your huge career on Broadway, I'd like to know a little bit about little Natasha Ooh. and the village that raised her. Well, I am from... I was born in Rochester, New York, but I stayed there like no time. It snowed and my family moved <laughs> there from North Carolina. So my home is Fayetteville, North Carolina. And I was raised by, oh, wow. My mother is from that town and her sisters were all there except for one. There was one sister who lived in Portchester, New York. And that's who I moved in with when I moved to New York. But before that, little Natasha was raised by her mother and father. Shiloh United Church of Christ, every mother in that church. And my aunts, I had two great strong aunts that were in my life every other day. Mm. We were either at one of them's house or we were at church. And I just had a, a source of strong Black women around me at all times. And a lot of who Sweet Sue is, is in reference to my Aunt Christine and my Aunt Lois and a little bit of my Aunt Bessie as well. Oh, that's beautiful. It definitely reflects in your career. I saw that you recorded an album dedicated to your mom called For My Mother. Yeah. Tell us about the album and what it reflects for you and your mom. Songs that she's sang or let me sing or shows we went to get to see together. There's they're mostly show tunes. There's one song on there that she didn't know it was from another the producer wanted to add one of his songs, but the rest of the songs are songs that either we went to see these shows together or songs that we would sing or hum those cast albums around the house. My mother, I think, wanted to be a performer. She mm. didn't ever say that, but she was a singer and she just sort of lived through me doing it. And like every show, she was at every show, not necessarily every night, but she saw everything I did up until the time when she got sick and would be mouthing my words, you know, in the audience. I could see her... <laughs> She learned them with me and was rooting me on. I still feel her presence most of the time when I'm on stage, even. I've invited her to just come along. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Oh, that's beautiful. So you were in theater as a child? Well, at 13, I started at 13. I was in the theater of church prior to that. So I was in everything we had there. But my first production outside of the church was at 13 at the urgence of a vice principal that I had at the time. 
I auditioned for our Fable Little Theater, which became a community regional theater later. Mm-hmm. And I did Razzle Dazzle and I did Little Shop of Horrors. And, oh, wow. And it just kept going from there. Local theater is so important. Oh <laughs> I tell people all the time, so support important. local theater. So important. so important. I interviewed Shay Wafer, who's the executive director at Waco Theater in L.A. Okay. We talked about her journey through local theaters and how important it is for people to finance, especially black theaters. Yeah, especially. Because they get the littlest piece of the money. <laughs> and it makes the greatest impact on the community. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Just that synergy of culture and people being able to see themselves, even if it's not necessarily a positive character on stage, but being able to be validated in that moment on stage and in the community. It just does so much for the school systems and society at large in that community when there's theater there. So yes, you got to support local theater. <laughs> That's beautiful. So theater was, well, Broadway was always your goal? Broadway was definitely a goal once I found out what it was. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, prior to that, I was watching television with my mother and I knew that I wanted to entertain people. Okay. I knew that I wanted to be have my family sit and laugh and commune together like we did in front of the television, you know, after dinner when we, we watch whatever shows we were watching. I knew that I wanted to do that. I started in the theater space about 13, but still, even at that age, I didn't think it was a career. I wasn't getting paid at 13. I was doing community. Right. And I didn't know that it could be something that would could sustain my life. I went to college at North Carolina Anti State University. I was a math major, but I was interested in the plays, auditioned for them, and then began to spend a lot of time in the plays and in the <laughs> theater department and ended up changing my major, double majored, and so for theater education and math. So then that was when I knew, oh, I can do this. I can get paid to do this for my life. And that was the gold set. And we just, I took one year off right after grad school and taught school. I taught theater and I taught math. <laughs> And I taught everything else at West Horizon for one year. And then I moved to New York to pursue singing and acting. Initially, it was on the Apollo Theater. But then I started beating the pavement, auditioning for stuff and booked. Godspell was the first thing I booked. It was an all-Black cast of Godspell that was going to be at the Victoria Five Theater in Harlem. And uh, again, for no money. And that was my first production (laughs) in New York. That's the first thing I booked. So coming from... North Carolina. Is it North Carolina? Mm-hmm. Yep. Fayetteville, North Carolina. Yep. Fayetteville, North Carolina. What was the culture shock when you walked down the streets of New York City? You know, I'm still mesmerized by all the lights, mm-hmm. by all the lights, by all the movement, being surrounded by the water. I've always loved water, but North Carolina, I lived down, I grew up down a long dirt road, mm. there were maybe five houses on the road when I was, and it was a long road. It was a couple of miles long, but five of them were all spread out. And then now that like if I go back now, there's maybe 25 houses on the road. So it has grown. But I grew up where if you had company, they had to plan to come. <laughs> there was nothing around it. The nearest <laughs> store was like a it was called LMA's. It was like an old, I don't know, mom and pop little shop. Mm. And it was open whenever they felt like being open. <laughs> and they only had like a little 25 cents. It was when now or later were like 25 cents. Yes. They had soda pops and stuff like that, but I had to ride my bike there. But the nearest organized store was like nine miles away. That was into town. And it was, <laughs> I don't know. I just love when people came. The culture shock for me was that there were people all the time around or nearby mm-hmm. when I'm, and that everything was lit up. And it was, it didn't matter if it was 
nine o'clock at night or two in the afternoon, people were still busy and awake. Whereas, you know, we didn't have a bus system where I was from. And if we did, we had one in the city, but it stopped at 6 p.m. And so just the fact that the city never sleeps, as they say, was the <laughs> biggest culture shock for me. And that you didn't walk down the street and be like, hey, speaking to everybody. You know, I was like, hi. Oh, smiling. Everybody thought it was a little bit kooky, I guess. She was <laughs> <You> saying hi. <laughs> and I had a cousin. My cousin, I had cousins that live here. My cousins, Lana and Regina, and they had taken me to the city, I think, of something. I was doing my thing in terms of speaking and acknowledging people, especially the Black people. And they were like, stop it. Stop speaking to people. <laughs> Stop doing that. So that was pretty I cool. know. Yeah. I remember the first time I went to New York, I had the same because I'm from, from the Midwest. And we'll okay. just say, hi. Right. And people would scowl at you like, what do yes. you want? <laughs> like, yes. what's wrong with these yes. people? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah, that was the biggest. The first lesson is stop speaking to everybody. <laughs> what was the next lesson? You said that was the first. Don't count your money and don't take your money out public. Don't just... Figure out, and, you know, going over here, I'm gonna be like, oh, let me make sure I got enough money to go in there. <laughs> don't do that. Just go and take a chance. I know you had to learn to tuck everything into your bra. <laughs> I was already doing that now. I was yes. Doing that. <laughs> we learned that in church. Now the trailer for the color purple just came out. <laughs> like ah! oh, 20 minutes ago. Oh my God. And it's stunning. Yes. And I know that you were in The Color Purple. Which production were you in? I was in the Broadway production with Fantasia. Oh. So oh. I saw my little girl. Yes. And it was just, I was like, oh! I don't know. It's just so, I can't. I'm so entrenched in Color Purple. I love it so much. The cast, my cast, the original cast is still are still very close. We have friendships for life from that cast. And I know that the revival is the same way. Those That show just bonds you in a way that is unlike any other. So I'm so excited and so happy that it's coming. But I was like, it's still Christmas. Can we just do it? How does it feel to be a part of Alice Walker's legacy? Ah, it feels great. you played Sophia, I, I played right? Sophia. I played yeah. Sophia the second year, the second Broadway company. The tour started and Felicia Fields, Felicia P. Fields, who originated the role on Broadway, the tour was starting in Chicago, which is her hometown. So she wanted to go mm -hmm. and do the tour. And so that left an opportunity for somebody to come and do Broadway. God blessed me to be able to do it. So it was the joy of my life. Great joy of my life still is one of my most memorable experiences is my Broadway debut as Sophia in The Color Purple. That was your very first? That was my debut. <sighs> yep. It was a principal role. I actually auditioned for the gospel singer. Mm -hmm. But when my agent called, they said, you know what? Sit down. You have booked Sophia. And it was just, I never dreamed even that high. I was so happy to just be the gospel singer and to be in the production. And that was incredible to get that word. So how many years from the time you stepped in New York after college to that moment that you stepped my on debut, stage? About 10 years, 10 years. 10 years. 10 years. Prior to that, I was doing tours. I did about eight tours. So that's about eight years of doing the national tours for different productions. What are some of the productions that you did? I did the tour of All Shook Up. That's where I was when I found out I booked the Broadway <laughs> on the tour of All Shook Up. I did the Susical tour. Okay. My first tour was the Goodbye Girl. It was a bus and truck tour. I did uh Parade. I did the Parade tour and it's on Broadway now. What else did I do? 
Cinderella. I did Cinderella. That was two years. Okay. That Elvis. It'll come to you. I don't know. <laughs> like I don't know. One day you'll be sitting down. You're like, oh, I forgot about. <laughs> yeah, that's it. One day, one day. Oh, drowsy chaperone. That's one. Yeah. Like my uncle says, it has escaped me. <laughs> I love that. Now I know that Broadway is your home. Have you ever explored film or television? I do a little bit, dabble in a little bit of film and television, and that's really what I would like to get more into, film and television. I actually wrote a movie this past year, finished it up, and I'm excited about what's next for that. And last year, or during the pandemic, I started, I did a movie called Alice with Kiki Palmer okay. and Common, and it went like, did it go straight to video? No, it was in the theaters for like a hot second. It was in mm-hmm. the theaters during the height of COVID, and nobody was coming to the theater. Nobody. <laughs> So it, then it decided it was going to go on video. So that's what we did. And it started streaming. That was Alice. And then I've done a couple of TV shows, some guest starring and some co-starring. And I love to explore all forms of entertainment. Now you are so modest, but I'm going to tell you right now, you can brag here. <laughs> You're like, I've done a couple of TV shows and <laughs> you have permission to brag it. <laughs> I'm working on that. You know what I mean? Like I'm from North Carolina. Like I said, I grew up in the church and we were constantly that religiosity. Is that a word that tells you, oh no, yeah. don't make us feel this by yourself. I'm a bit of blah, blah, blah. That thing has almost crippled me because I don't toot my own horn. I don't tell people, blah, 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 half the things I'm doing and people miss out and therefore I miss out. So I understand where that teaching comes from, but ooh, yes, it's, I got it. I got we it. are going to lift and remove it in this moment. All righty. And for the next however long that we are talking, you have permission okay. to brag it. I'm going to try to do that. I'm going to try. <laughs> but it's hard for me too. I know. Okay. So let's create a character. Okay. Let's put you in the character. Okay. And her name is Hillary. Hillary. And Hillary has come from a fluent family. Mm-hmm. And she is very sure of herself because everybody has told her she is great her whole life. And now Hillary, you are going to tell me how great you are. So when you were on television, Hillary, yes. Tell me about your shows. It was almost like I had been there my whole life. I felt (laughs) very comfortable hitting my marks. The angles of the cameras were, they followed me in. One of my favorite roles was I just did the opener in the show called FBI. And I was a mother who lost their son and it was very dramatic and I was crying and he got shot right in front of me. And it was, ah, it was so dramatic. And I enjoyed that a lot. And then I did, I have a show coming up on Run the World. I'm in an episode or two of Run the World. I play Brisha Webb's character's aunt in one of those episodes. I got to do Harlem and I was the psychiatrist. Yes! I got to do Godfather of Harlem and I was a lady named Pearl. So, I'm, I mean, I'm, I've done a lot of television. Hillary has done a lot of television. <laughs> and she's good at that as well. And she just wants to do more and more of everything. <laughs> and scene. Thank you. Of the applause. <laughs> so now you have your alter ego's name. So next interview, you're going to pull Hillary. <laughs> you're going to brag about yourself. And you're going to tell everybody what you're doing. I got great fortune of working with Chapman Roberts last month. He arranged a medley of songs for me for Miscast Production. 
Chapman Roberts arranged the vocal arrangements for among his long resume. I, mean, I can't even give you all of it, but for Smokey Joe's Cafe, the arrangement of B.J. Crosby that we all know and love of her hitting the stratosphere was his arrangement. And so he's a phenomenal performer. But he was telling me some of the things he, he did. And I was admiring how confident and all that kind of stuff. And he said, you have to toot something like this. I'm paraphrasing because I know I've mixed it up. But you have to toot your own horn. Otherwise, there would be no ban. Mm, can you put that on a T-shirt? I want to buy it. <laughs> Sometimes you have to get your own horn or there'll be no ban. Something like that. I'm going to call him today when we get off and just make sure I get it right. And maybe I'll put it on a T-shirt. Oh, I'm getting chills because here's the thing. We are taught to be humble, sure. especially as Black women, and just be comfortable in the background. Yes, and then we don't hear our accolades until we're a hundred years old. And people say, remember when, and sometimes, and not sometimes we have to learn to speak up for ourselves. And it also, it exemplifies the work that God is doing through you. Yep. So at the and end of the day, we are letting, yes, we are letting the light, what is this little light is, of mine? Yes. I'm going to let it shine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now your voice is so incredible. I was doing my research on you. Oh yeah. Thank you. You have so many layers to your voice. You were doing an episode. I can't remember the name of the show. I should have written it down. But you did three different songs from three different shows. Mm -hmm. And each song required something completely different from you. And you were able to switch it on and off. And it was amazing because one was just like sultry and one was powerful and one was just a lot of character. How did you hone in on that? And how do you keep that going night after night in a big show like Some Like It Hot? I think for like when I also grew up with my parents would not buy me like records and stuff. They were religious and I could only hear recordings of any kind of music that they already had. So I listened to a lot of Aretha Franklin and Nina Simone and Al Green and Sam Cooke and Diane Ross. But I could only play the albums that were already in the house from back in the day. Um, and I never got albums for people that were in my age group. So when my friends came over and I'm trying to play them, Diana Ross and Sam Cooke, they're like, world, is wrong with you? Where is it? Uh, Where's salt and pepper? <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, I don't know. Then my mother did start liking Cool in the Gang when that song Joanna came out. That was my day. And she did let me buy that CD. But anyway, I mean, that album, it was a, you know, 45. But I started listening to older artists sing those albums. And the only thing I knew to do was to mimic the sound. So my sound, so today, in today's language, I'm not a riffer or whatever. I would love to be, create some of the sounds and vocal gymnastics that I'm hearing a lot of, but I'm not necessarily that artist. I'm a tone person and a lyric person. So I like to tell stories through song, but it came from listening to those older artists real music, just honing in on the sound and the feeling that you get when you're connecting with the lyric in a song. So I think that's where my voice comes from and how I, and the reason there's different colors of it is because there were different, we had different from 78s, the big, <laughs> you know, and different little 45s that I would be able to listen to and uh, sort of say, wow, and this is, and whatever feeling it was creating in me, I knew that it would create that in other people. So I wanted to be able to do that as well. Well, that is a beautiful gift to be able to create the characters that you do within music, because you can definitely feel that each song that you sing, you're bringing something different to it. Oh, good. Good. 
<laughs> so you're doing your thing. That's the goal. So, That's the goal. <laughs> you have spent decades on Broadway. Yeah. You've had a very long and incredible career appearing in such productions as Porgy and Bess. Sidebar, I saw Porgy and Bess 2012-2013 on Broadway. Uh-huh. Yay. Oh, took my breath away. <laughs> Waitress, Chicago, and playing powerful women, like we said, Sophia, Mama Morton, and now Sweet Sue. What is the secret to your longevity on Broadway? I don't stop. You know, I don't get a job and then sit there. I'm constantly not necessarily looking for the next job, but certainly looking to improve where I am, looking to improve myself and the craft. I think the secret to my longevity, first of all, is that there was space for me. There was a position, you know, that I could fit into and that I worked hard to sort of fit into that, whatever it is that they were looking for, to present myself in the best possible light so that they could move me around until I create my own. So that's what I'm trying to do now is create my own spaces for myself as a Black woman, as a full-figured Black woman, and for other women of color so that it's not just the one or two positions that are available, so that there's more and there's room for all of us. So I'd love to be able to just continue that trend. Hopefully my longevity is based on I fit into several different places and pieces and can be effective and impactful in those positions. So that's what I'm hoping continues. Well, I can see it continuing for long, a long time. I remember <laughs> seeing a one way, one woman show with B. Arthur mm-hmm. and she told all her Broadway stories. And I was like, well, she has lived a life and I can say yes. that you will do the same. You will live a life. Yes. <laughs> How has Broadway changed your life? Well, I'm less present at home, less than I want to be. I'm, you know, the hours are long when you're in rehearsal and then you do the show, but you're, and while the hours there are not that long, you're just working when everybody else is home. So it's difficult sometimes because I'm gone on the weekends when my kids come home from school or home from school. So that's a, a challenge, just being able to manage time management and balance life and family and home life has been difficult. Broadway has changed me in that I am committed to my craft and I see the journey. I'm always climbing and higher and I want to present an example for my children to follow your dreams and to have what it is that you desire to have. So that sometimes is in conflict with me spending actual time with them. So Broadway has taught me to be conflicted is what it sounds like, (laughs) But, but it's also taught me to celebrate excellence. And so that's what I do every night. I try to teach that to my children and as I go out and present the excellent part of me every night. That's beautiful. You talked about how you want to create spaces for other people of color, other full-figured women. Who has advocated for you in your career and in your life? In my life, my mom was always my biggest. She's my biggest cheerleader. I'm a member of Black Theater United now, and we are advocates for all things Black artists on stage and behind the table and writing and producing and all of those things. For me, it was my mentors that are actually in some of them are in this group with me, Capathia Jenkins and Lilius White, BJ Crosby, Audra McDonald and LaChance, all of them just pushing me to go for it, you know, be all that I can be and that I could do it and I could be where they were. Keisha Lewis is also 
another example of women in my corner in the business that were just a little bit older than me and always were kind, were helpful, all of those things were examples on the stage of what to do and off stage of how to treat people, how to be advocates for those that didn't have a voice. Diane McIntyre was a choreographer director that I had a long time ago, and she was incredible. Linda Twine was a music director on Color Purple. And these women were just extraordinary in setting that discipline bar high and letting me know that's the way to go. Just be all that you can be. And I think that's a message that most Black people have. (laughs) You have to be better than anybody else. You know what I mean? Every time you have to, and you might not get recognized for it. Nobody might ever toot your horn, but you have to be in place and on par every time, even higher than everybody else, the next person, just to get to the same level. So they instilled that in me as well. And and here I am. And here you are. Now you got into the business long before the millennials were around with the body positivity conversation. Yes. How were you able to grow your confidence and just, you know, keep your sexy self wow. sexy? <laughs> I got here and I tried to get an agent and my that one guy, I forgot, I won't even call their name because they're still around. I don't know if that agent is, but he said, you know what? You're going to work when you're 35, I think is what he said. He said, when you turn 35, you're going to work a lot because you're too big to be as young as you are and be cast. And so then I was like, oh, gosh, what does that mean? I got to wait 15 years to work. So what I decided and then instead of being upset about who I was and starving myself or trying to lose weight or and not that I didn't try because I did, but I just decided I was going to be happy with who I was. I was going to celebrate who I was so that I could present myself in the best possible light. And whatever role was for me would be for me. And those that weren't and that I missed out on, that was God's protection as opposed to just rejection. But that doesn't mean that every time I went in the room, I wasn't wrapped around trying to get it and trying to to not take everything personal. Because there's so many no's, so many no's and so many, not right now, you're not quite right. And I also joined the business when there was typing, a lot of typing doing where you would go to this audition and they'd have 15 people come in the room and then they would just type you out. We need you and you to stay. You, all the rest of y'all can go home because you weren't the right type. You didn't fit into what, that's before you opened your mouth, before you sang a song, before you read a line. They did a lot of typing back in when I first got here. So then it was always, oh my God, is the person that they're thinking about, is she full or is she skinny or is she white? Is she black? What is she? So you found out very early. And then I decided instead of being upset about being typed out, well, at least they didn't waste my time. You know, if they weren't looking for me, okay. So I developed this attitude of whatever's going to help me survive and continue. And that's what I'm going to hold on to. It's sort of like when I got in the show and I didn't get nominated, I was like, okay, well, maybe next year, maybe next time. I'm the queen of positivity. <laughs> Telling myself whatever's going to make me get to the next level. My mother, I would used to do pageants and stuff. And I would, sometime I would place and sometime I wouldn't. But if I didn't get into the top 10, she would always say, baby girl, you were number 11. And let's go, if we were going to go get ice cream, if I won, we were going to go get ice cream if I didn't place. Mm-hmm. We were going to do the same and celebrate the same way. But she constantly was telling me, I know you were number six out of that top five. You were number six, girl. You was right there. We're going to do another one. And you're going to, it's going to, you're going to come through this time. So it was constantly telling me 
I'm, I'm close. And if I increase my numbers, the odds are in my favor. So I sort of situated my career like that just to keep going. And no matter how many no's I get, I know I'm getting closer to my yes. So that's and now we- at year 17, yes. <laughs> Tony nominated actress. Oh. <laughs> now you are starring in this says feature, but I'm going to say starring in an iconic movie that has been turned into a Broadway play. Some like it hot. And I remember watching the movie because my mom and I would do theater and we'd watch old movies together. So I watched Some Like It Hot often starring Tony Curtis, yes. Marilyn Monroe and Jack Lemon. But I don't remember Sweet Sue being a big role. And I know well, it was. I, well, I got the audition. I went back. I had watched the movie as well. And yeah. when I got the audition, I went back to watch it because I couldn't remember Sweet Sue. <laughs> oh, let me see what this is. And then I watched it, and she was the band leader, but she was had a very small part. She stuck her head out like twice, I think, once on the train and said, "Go to bed," or you know, something, something really fast and quick. But I was looking at. I had three songs and three scenes. I was like, okay, they're doing something different than Sweet with Sweet Sue than was in the movie. And I think basically the writers sort of combined two characters. I don't remember the agent in the movie or the booking agent either in the movie, but they basically combined those two characters or the idea of them to create a bigger role for Sweet Sue. So that's what, and I'm very happy about that. Yeah. But I went back to to watch the movie and I was like, (laughs) I was like, who is Sweet Sue? (laughs) So you literally had to create the character. Along with, of course, your team, but you literally created this character who is just taking everything by storm. So what was your creation process and how did it feel to play such a sexy, vibrant woman on stage? Curvy, black, sexy and vibrant. (laughs) Absolutely incredible, honey. I got these most iconic costumes that I've had in one show. I think all of my costumes make me feel beautiful and powerful and strong. And they remind me of some woman I've got when I'm conducting that band. And the first thing I have on a, like a vest, Mom and Christine used to wear vests all the time. And those big, those egg necklaces or whatever, yes. those things that remind me of people in my life and that empower me and, and, and infuse joy in me and the way that I carry myself while I'm in those characters. So it's incredible playing Sweet Sue. I get to be the boss that I am. And I also get to recognize how the women around me are supporting me and we're doing it together. So because we're working toward the same goal and together we listen to each other, I think that's what makes it feel so successful and then become successful as we present that to the audience. Oh, it's beautiful. I can't wait to one day see it. I hope it tours. Yes, yes. They've announced they're going to tour in 2024. Are you going to join the touring company? Where are you? I'm in St. Louis. St. Louis. I am probably not going to join the touring company. Okay. I do, however, have an idea or thoughts that I want to join the London company. <sighs> I'm going to put that out there because I'm not real happy with my kids' school. If I could just take them abroad for a year and get in a great school, I would love that. So that's it. But the tour would be hard because we'd be moving and then I would be without them and all that. So that wouldn't work. That is mommyhood 101. <laughs> Be with the kids. <laughs> what about the kids? Take a I job. I hope that you raise them over there so they are Black children with British accents. <laughs> yes, right? I know my daughter would pick it really fast. She used to do it when, when was that? Peppa Pig, when she was little, watching Peppa Pig, she would mock, mock away. So 
She would pick up an accent really quick. Oh my goodness. So you- My accent, my Southern accent all the time. Oh, I know. <laughs> my Midwestern accent. People are like, where are you from? I farm? I'm like, nope, just the middle. <laughs> now, watching you, all of your pieces and clips, just to know more about you, you have a an amazing sense of style. Ooh, do I? Yes. Okay. I was like- that you say it was a Christmas you were singing on television. You had on this white dress with the cape. Uh huh. And then there was another one. You were wearing this sparkly dress and you had the sheer sleeves. You're like, I don't recall. See, that's fashion, fashion, darling, fashion. <laughs> How oh. do you keep it sexy? And where did you get that sense of style from? I feel very unstylish most of the time. <laughs> Well, you I tighten feel, it right. <laughs> you know, I have, I do have like performance clothes or whatever. So okay. those I need to be a little bit more, but most of the time, boo, I'm like in a t-shirt. Regular. <laughs> As we all are, but that has nothing to do with a sense of style. But the, but the sense of style with these dolls that I'm working with, that J. Harrison G mm. is so stylish. I look out and I'm like, oh, so they are inspiring me to sort of, up my game, you know, <laughs> because I'm trying to present myself in a stylish light. So I'm so glad you said that I have. Oh, yes, honey. I was like, I want yeah. that. I want that. We need the Natasha collection yes. <laughs> with somebody somewhere. <laughs> so you talked about Black Theater United. What is the work that you all do and what are you all up to? Well, right now we're up to the a mentorship program. We have a gala coming up in October. But the mentorship program for the summer is really good. We got 12 young people coming from all across the country. They'll come to New York and be housed here and work with some marketing internship. So they'll work with different marketing companies to learn the business of that because there's not a lot of Black people in these companies. So we've sort of partnered with agencies that want to expand their diversity and inclusion. And, and so that's how we're doing it. We sent out some applications across the two different HBCUs and other schools and other trade schools and got applicants. And then we interviewed them. And now these kids will get to come here and get a salary, get a connection, learn how to do that particular business and see if it's something that they want to continue and develop relationships. So that's what one of the things Black Theater United is doing. We started, the organization was born right after the murder of George Floyd. Because the theater Broadway community was basically silent in responding to the horrific act of his murder. And we just felt helpless. And you know, like much of the country, like, what is it that we can do? This is enough. And what can we do? So that's how, why we were formed to sort of help be a liaison to protect Black bodies, Black artists in our community. And so because theater was shut down at that time, we basically took a macro, micro approach and started working on the census and voting rights and all of those things to make the community better in terms of your choices and getting people in place that will help really be able to make a change for the quality of life. We had a census program. We worked on the Georgia vote and we did that. And right. then we started a conference of producers and creative teams, union members, theater owners to all come together to sort of shine a light on some of the harm that was being done in theatrical spaces as mm. far as Black were concerned and get them to commit to changing. We have something called the Broadway's New Deal. And it is a, some tenants that say, I'm going to work at this in my theater and be committed to making sure that there's no harm 
done in my community. And if there is harm, then I'm correctly, I'm going to be held accountable for that and change it. So putting some systems in place so that there's black hair care, you know, in the People know how to do simple things like that is like that. And also commenting people and people make comments that are inappropriate, those kinds of things that there's a system in place to sort of check people, hold people accountable. And then also celebrate allyship as well. You know, those people that are not necessarily black, but are not in the community, but want to help and can also stand up for things that they notice that are injustice in the workplace. So that's what Black United is about. That is beautiful because when I think of theater, I think of it as one of the most inclusive spaces when you're talking about film and television, and it is, but to see that there's still some work to be done and that you all stepped up to do it, that's a beautiful thing. Lots of work to be done. I mean, even like, even though in the last couple of years, the people on stage has increased, you know, Black people on stage has increased, but behind the scenes, like the writing teams would be all white. Or the creative people picking out the clothes or designing the hair, all white. So those white spaces are what we've tried to attack to say, look, there's got to be some people front of house. You've got to have people so that everybody feels welcome to come here. What are the things that are preventing a lot of Black people from coming to the theater? Why don't they feel welcome? What are the things that will make that change? So that's what we began to attack is not just the Black people that were on stage, but we need people in all facets of the theater. People of color need to be involved and have a space at the table, a seat at the table, if you will, in all of those different areas and genres, the musicians and everything. We we, we sort of invited everybody to the table. It's the first time in our industry that everybody was in the same space talking about our industry and what we can do to make it better and to make it survive. Because the way the old theater model it's not for these millennials out here. <laughs> oh, honey. And they will tell you with a bullhorn at the front door. No, exactly. <laughs> this so, ain't, yeah. we're done. <laughs> All of that. Like they say, this ain't your mama's Broadway, honey. <laughs> no, it is not. <laughs> that's amazing. Oh, it, I'm, that's, I love it. It's beautiful. And I'm so glad that you all do that. I spoke with a woman who's a part of the symphony around the country and the black symphonic musicians have done the same thing within their community yes like we need to diversify these stages yes diversify everything and we need to give these musicians the black musicians need tenure just like the white musicians do yes because when they get tenure it's for life (laughs) it's tenure like universe. it's for life so it's beautiful to see that all of these things are happening and everybody's doing it in their own way and doing it where they are instead of trying to take on the whole world, just right. take on the world that you're in and see how yeah. you can make a difference step by step. So you talked about your movie and you have completed writing it. Yes. What is your dream cast for this creation? Haley Bailey is just on top of my mind right now. Right? <laughs> just because of Mermaid and then I just saw that color purple thing. I did one at one point, Risha Webb. When I started writing, it was Uzo Aduba to be the player, but she's sort of aged out of it too. I don't know. I need to think about it. I know that I want for myself and Octavia Spencer to be the mother and the aunt. But as far as who would be Mamie, who is the baseball player, it's about a baseball player, a woman who played baseball in the Negro Leagues with the men. Oh, wow. It's about her rise into the Negro League and the simultaneous demise of Black businesses during that time. That happened as a result of integration. 
And uh, so who would play that? I'm not quite sure. You'll be thinking about that all day. <laughs> you got to get that dream cast list together. That's a beautiful, I never heard of her. Yes, me either. <laughs> and I live in a baseball town. <laughs> You're in St. Louis. I yes. actually heard about her in, where was it? Kansas City. Kansas City, Missouri. Is that where, or either Kansas City, because they're right beside each other. Kansas yes. City, Kansas City, Missouri. There's the Negro League Baseball Hall of Fame Museum. And I was doing a movie out there called Sweet Little Lies. And we were based there. And on a day off, I went to the museum, walked around the corner and saw these three women on the wall and thought, who are these women? Are they somebody's wives? What's going on? And found out that they actually played with the men. And as the Negro League was losing their players to the to go to the major leagues, they lost their audience. And so to get them back, they said, oh, well, let's add women. That'll bring the people back. It didn't work. But, you know, so that was the effort that they tried to see if we could get our audience back because that million dollar industry at the time was just siphoning away. And then as a result, all of the businesses that were supported by the Black people coming together began to have disparity in their business as well. So everything just sort of folded after that. Well, I'm going to envision myself buying a ticket to your movie. Yes. <laughs> Beyond the Diamond, Beyond the Diamond. <laughs> Beyond the Diamond. I love Queen Charlotte. And she says, you are the diamond of the season. Ah, yes, I love <laughs> I need to watch, I haven't watched the new Queen Charlotte. Girl. No, I'm just, I'm like, oh God, can I start another thing? I don't have time. It's only six episodes. All right, I'm gonna get it. I'm gonna so you're not, it's not 12 or 15 or 25, it's just six, but it's beautiful. Let me tell you, this has been an amazing conversation. Yes. I love talking to you. <laughs> Thank you. Do it more often. Let's do it again soon. Oh, we, listen, anytime you're ready, just, you know how to reach me. And before we go, I would just want to know what is next on the horizon for you? I know you said I moved to London. Listen, I didn't ask me to go. I'm just putting it out there that I want to go. <laughs> next on the horizon is me delving into my script, making sure everything is this, developing that, picking out that Dreamcast, starting to push that screen. I also have a TV pilot I'm writing about my family. And so I want to do theater and I want to do television and film. Next on the horizon, there's nothing specific, but I am going to leave all the tentacles open. I'm spreading myself out there and uh, just whatever. God. Now say it as Hillary. Oh, gosh. I want to be a series regular on a TV show, possibly one that I write, but definitely one that I'm starring in. And uh, then I can do my Broadway show on the off season because I'm that talented and powerful and sought after. Next on the horizon is people seeking me out to be in their projects and me finishing up projects so that I can share them with the world. Applause, applause, applause <laughs> and scene. <laughs> Woo! Mrs. Williams, this has been a thrill. Thank and you I'm for Hillary. So... Thank you for Hillary. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, this girl in St. Louis told me to be Hillary. I'm yes. going to go be Hillary. Hillary. But listen, you have garnered so much success, but you have also put the work in. So I admire your journey, your career, you. and your dedication to making certain that you leave behind a legacy that is open for all people. So enjoy and celebrate and be all that you can be on these Broadway streets. Yeah. <laughs> I will talk to you soon and I want you to have a magical day. Thank you so much. You too. Love you. Thank you, sis. <laughs> So much love to you. Bye-bye. <laughs>
Bye. Thank you for listening to Black Women Amplified. We hope you enjoyed the show. Be sure to subscribe and log on to blackwomenamplified.com for more information. Keep shining. Keep shining.